Well, in honor of of today being Mother's Day, I do want to, in keeping with this day, I do want to um, preach on this subject. Uh, I don't do a topical sermon very often. Occasionally I do, but uh, I'm not really expositionally preaching out of a text, even though I would have liked to preach out of First Samuel, maybe the first three chapters out of First Samuel, uh, in um, extolled to you uh, the virtues of Hannah as a queen of mothers. If you consider Hannah, and just here briefly, uh, in First Samuel, the mother of Samuel and how that she was ostracized because she did not have children. She was one of two wives, and she cried to the Lord in her desperation for children, and the Lord heard her, and she raised that little son in an environment. If you look at 1 Samuel, a grievous and terrible culture of debauchery and wickedness, even in the courts of the temple, this little boy, grew up as a man of God in an environment where the, the people, the spiritual leaders of the land were, in, were engaged in sexual immorality in the courts of the house of worship. And this little boy was growing up. And in First Samuel, I think it's about chapter 2, it speaks about um, Eli's two sons. And then... After recounting their debauchery, it says, but Samuel. And she raised that young son with such fervor for the Lord. In the brief time that she had, until he was weaned, we don't know how old that was. But so I would have kind of liked to preach out of First Samuel. Um, but um, I am not. But I want to, you know, my prayer is that I could in some fashion give God's perspective on motherhood. And the title that I've given to this is Biblical Motherhood. Um, I don't want this to be just some sentimental musings of a man who is married to a mother of seven. Or... The ramblings of one who himself is one of 17, all of one mother. So uh, my life has been tremendously blessed and enriched by these two mothers that uh, have been a huge part of my life. So motherhood was introduced in the first chapter of the book. In the first chapter of Genesis, motherhood was introduced. And you can turn, you can flip back to Genesis 1, where in the creation order, uh, where we see here, uh, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And we see here, 
that motherhood was introduced here in this first chapter of the Bible where Creator God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiplying mothers. Be fruitful and multiplying mothers. Be mothers who fill the earth and subdue it. Mothers who join the great work of showing forth the dominion of the sovereign God as they bring forth His image bearers. Mothers, have you ever seen yourself as subduing the earth? Have you ever seen yourself as being a part of this process? I hope you have. That the greatness and the grandeur of your calling becomes evident as you consider the input you have in the lives of those that you bear into this earth. That those are meant to portray and bear the image of Almighty God who created them. To show forth the dominion of sovereign God as his image bearers. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And that is an ongoing work. That is still happening. What an honorable calling it is for mothers to, it is for you to mother the image bearers of Almighty God. And so my first point is, a mother's honor. This is my first point, is a mother's honor. Think about it. When God created man and woman, He made them as adults. He created them not as babies, but He created them as adults. He made them. He made Adam in a form and breathed the the breath of life into him, and man became a living soul. He created them as adults. Every subsequent human being that ever walked on the earth had a mother that bore him. You know, we can't say that about fathers. There, is, there has been one born who did not have an earthly father. But our Lord Jesus Christ had an earthly mother. And every other human being since creation was birthed into the world. And God saw fit that His image bearers be entrusted to the care of their parents. And that, you, and that they be uniquely nurtured and cared for by their mothers. So God wonderfully honored motherhood by creation. By creation, He wonderfully honored your position, mothers, that entrusted to you is the care of His image bearers. But God also exalted and magnified mothers by mandate. Not only by creation, but also by mandate. In the fifth commandment in Exodus 20 and verse 12, God Almighty dictated that mothers be honored. Did He not? He, he, he said that Honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long in the land that I give you. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. He blessed the position of motherhood and made it the condition 
the, made the honor of it the condition of longevity in the land that he was giving them. God honors mothers. He viewed it so important that in the first commandment of interpersonal relationships, it says, honor your father and your mother. The very first one. Honor your mother. Hear the word of the Lord to the people of God in Leviticus 19, verses 1 to 3. Leviticus 19, 1 to 3 reads this way, just a straight up, straight at you kind of scripture. Leviticus 19, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, or you shall be set apart, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be uniquely set apart from all of the cultures around you because I am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother. You see that? Leviticus 19 in verse 3. Every one of you shall revere his mother and father and his father and keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. If that's not just clear that how God esteems parental position and authority, I don't know what it, what it is. Right here, he says, every one of you shall fear your mother. Interesting. This word revere is fear in the King James. It is used again and again countless times in your relationship to Almighty God. Revere. Or fear the Lord. Used again and again throughout Scripture. In Leviticus 20 and verse 9, it reads this way. For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. It is literally to dishonor your mother had the death penalty attached if you were in the camp of Israel. It had the death penalty attached. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. Just a, an amazing biblical mandate that we have from Almighty God, honor your mother. In Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, I told you this wasn't going to be an expositional. It's not going to be one passage of Scripture. It may be expositional to some extent. But 1 Timothy 5, we're going to be flipping back and forth as we do this topical work. 1 Timothy 5, in verse 8. Here's an interesting passage of Scripture for you. I want to read this. Normally, I have not seen this passage as relating to mothers, but it is right here. But if anyone does not provide 
For his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I've always seen this verse as meaning if I don't go out and drag it home for my family and my children, then I am worse than an unbeliever. But let's get the context just a little bit. This passage is a practical outworking of honoring your mother. Let's let's go back to verse 3. Honor widows who are really widows. Honor widows who are genuine widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Verses 5 and 6 and 7 refers to those who, now she who is really a widow and left alone, trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide, okay, go back to verse 4. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. This is the exact opposite of what the Pharisees were teaching and trying to make a loophole in Matthew 15, where the, in the, in the uh, Pharisaical economy, if someone dedicated their livelihood or their profit to God, then the Pharisees and, and, and used this word Corban and said that what I have earned, I have dedicated to God. Therefore, I don't have to minister to my parents. And Jesus condemned it roundly. He said, you have nullified the commands of God by your traditions and condemns them for it. And he uses Exodus um, 20 verse 12, he uses the fifth commandment to point out to them that God said this, you're to honor your father and your mother, but you say this, and therefore you have, you have taken away the power of the commandment of God by the traditions that you're upholding. And 1 Timothy 5 in verses 4 and 8 Clear, uh, speak into this very subject of honoring your father and your mother, taking care of them. Listen, Paul is teaching here in Timothy that the widows are first to be cared for by their adult children, not by the church. That's the teaching of 1 Timothy 5 and verses 4 and 8. Adult children should provide for their widowed mother, not the church necessarily. The church needs to take care of those who are genuinely destitute widows. So there we have this teaching and this, this practical outworking of how you would honor your, your older mother. Honor your mother. The Pharisees had essentially created a loophole to the fifth commandment. That was what they had done. So God has also, not only did he honor mothers in creation and honor them by mandate that you shall, the imperative that you shall 
honor your mother, but he has also honored mothers by giving them authority. He has honored mothers by giving them authority. We see some of these truths in the book of Proverbs, but especially we see them in Proverbs 6, in verse 20, where this is simply, um, it is simply saying, said that you should keep the law of your mother. Proverbs 6 and verse 20 says this way, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Do not forsake the law of your mother. In Proverbs 31, in verse 1, you don't have to flip back here. We're we're just taking a, a bit of a survey here in Proverbs. Proverbs 31.1, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. What, my son, and what, son of my womb, and what, son of my vows, do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. In both of these, in, in both of these accounts, in, in uh, Proverbs 6.20 and in Proverbs 31, these exhortations to not forsake the law of your mother is given in relation to the son and his relationship with other women. Both of them are like a, you know, they, this exhortation and command is given before they enter into this discourse of stay away from the strange woman, stay away from the immoral woman in Proverbs 6. And then in Proverbs 31 Look here. This is what you need to look for. This virtuous woman, you see. So these are the authority that is given to the mother to give these sorts of directions to her children. The law of your mother is a God-given means of governance for the children, for her children. We have a really graphic picture in Proverbs 31.17 where he says, The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. A graphic picture of the tragic end of one who scorns obedience to his mother. I mean, this is the picture of rebellion where a, a, a son may, may rebel against and scorn obedience to his mother, and the end of that is an unburied corpse that the birds of the air are picking on. That's the picture here. A graphic, tragic end to one who scorns the authority of his mother. Well... My second point as we consider mothers, the first one is a mother's honor. Secondly, I want to speak about a mother's home. A mother's home. Home is a mother's realm. Home is her place. Here is where she governs and administrates the law that, she, that is hers. Here is where her authority finds its place. In Proverbs 31, in verse 
uh, in verse 27, it says this way. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Yes, this virtuous woman watches over the ways of her household. And this is very similar language, and we, we have to go to uh, Titus 2 as we consider a as we consider a mother in her home, this is very, very similar language to Titus 2 and verse 4. She watches over the way of her household. In Titus 2, in verse 4, it says this way. I may, I may back up to get the context of chapter 2 and verse 1. But as for you, speak to things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So, this is very similar as we've seen that she was looking over her household. This word homemakers, in the King James, it's keepers at home. And basically, it's the idea of a home guard. It's where someone is guarding the home. It's watch, they're watching over their household. And they're guarding, or it could, it could mean a stayer at home. You know, it's very difficult to run a home if you're not present. <laughs> it's just almost impossible to do a good job with your home if you're not present. But homemakers, or a stayer at home, or domestically inclined... And so here now we see that her administration, the law that is given to her, the authority that is given to her is, def- is administered in the home and it is defined by her husband. Notice where it says here, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And so her administration and her agenda is determined by her husband's input. Lest we paint the wrong picture that the, the mother is the sole governance. And, and she is pointed out in Scripture as the governor of her home. But someone made the laws, you see. Someone sets the, the principles and sets the standard. And, you know, if we go back to the last point of honoring your mother, this point falls squarely on the shoulders of the father to say, listen, my son, your mother is the law of the house while I'm out. This is where the father comes along and brings his weight to bear and backs up the mother. Notice that in Titus 2, this admonition to it is it is her her government is defined in these terms it is limited 
to her husband's agenda. I want to point something out here that we, we might some, somewhat overlook. You know, these practical teachings that I just read to you about the older men, the young men, and the older women, and the young women. We think about points of doctrine as, you know, these theological, theological discourses about God's sovereignty or God's dealings with, with us in, in uh, salvation. Or, uh, and these are all true. The, the doctrine of His second coming and, and the, the work of the Holy Spirit, all of these are great doctrinal truths. But if you look here, these practical teachings in Titus 2 are considered sound doctrine. Have you noticed that both of these are bracketed, that it is bracketed on both ends of this teaching with the exhortation to adhere to sound doctrine? In verse, in verse 1, But as for you, speak those things which are proper for sound doctrine in God's church. Notice that it is here. This is, these sound doctrine is very, very, very practical. Notice how he goes on in, in, uh, in verse 10b, or in verse 10 of Titus 2, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may, what? That they may adorn, or that they may you know, dress up the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. These simple truths of interpersonal relationships are doctrinal. Isn't that interesting? We, 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 we rarely elevate them to this status, don't we? We need to elevate these interpersonal relationships that Paul is teaching to, to Titus about how the church lives and functions among itself and within itself and see that they are sound doctrine. Notice that they admonish the young women to love their husband. That's sound doctrine. To love their children. To, to be discreet, chaste homemakers or keepers of the home. Good, obedient to their own husbands that the word of God be not blasphemed. And there you have that same principle again. A a high motivational call that the Word of God not be blasphemed by your behavior, mothers. It's beautiful. And as we consider the mother's home, let's flip back. We see these principles again in First Timothy. <clears throat> in First Timothy... Five, already been there once. First Timothy 5 and verse 14. Paul is continuing his teaching on widows. In verse 9, he speaks about the age bracket for bringing a widow into the church and considering her as a widow. Uh, in verse 11, he speaks about the younger widows. And then in verse 14, he says, Therefore, I desire... That the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house. And there we have it again, the motivational phrase right behind it. That 
you would not give any opportunity for the adversary to speak evil or reproachfully. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house. Give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. So this manage the house, bear children, manage the house. The King James again says guide. It's, it's guiding the house. And if you look that up in the concordance, that word in Greek simply means to rule. It means to rule the household. That there is rule and authority given to the mother to rule her house. And it's a scriptural principle here where the, she is much more intimately and consistently in fellowship with her children than the father is especially in the, in the young years. And we know this to be true. And so God knows it to be true. And God gives her the things that you need, mother. He gives you the authority to deal with, these, with, with those under you, to rule them, to, to guide them, to manage the house, that, they would ha- that you would give no opportunity to the adversary. You know, this has been largely forsaken in the American culture. We farm our children out. We, we contract their upbringing to others. We turn them over to, to the daycare while we go and make the dollar. We run after, and it is child sacrifice, nothing less than child sacrifice, where we sacrifice our children and their well-being on the altar of self-indulgence and career. We have lost our way, America. But the church of Jesus Christ teaches sound doctrine. A church of sound doctrine is a church that embraces the role and place of a mother in the home. You know, lawlessness starts in the home. Does it not? Law and order does as well. Law and order starts in the home. So we have in Proverbs again, Don't you just love Proverbs? It's beautiful, beautiful. Proverbs 29, 15 says this way, The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. A child left to himself brings shame. If a mother leaves her child by himself, his depravity will take root. And it will manifest itself in rebellion that will ultimately lead to destruction. It will lead to destruction. So a mother's home, beautiful place where she governs her children, where she nurtures her children, where she brings the law of God to bear on the lives of her children. A mother's home. Lastly, I want to speak of a mother's hope. Of a mother's hope. You know, mothers are fallen people like everyone else. Mothers 
You know, Eve, as Adam named his wife, he says, I will call her Eve. She is the mother of all living, led not only her sex, but all humanity into sin. And there's a very thought-provoking passage in 1 Timothy 2 that I want to tackle this morning. It's in 1 Timothy 2, um, and I want to see if we can draw out uh, some of these uh, truths out of 1 Timothy 2, verse 8 through 15. And we'll, spend, we'll spend some time here. Well, let me read this portion of Scripture. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8 through 15. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now you might ask, why would he preach out of 1 Timothy 2, verse 8 through 15, if he has other options? <laughs> It's a difficult passage, but it is primarily difficult because we don't want to hear it. It is primarily difficult because it is anti-cultural. It is cross-cultural. It cuts straight across the grain of radical feminism. But surely, if we love the truth, we have no problems with the truth. Surely not. Okay, so as we look at this passage, I want to remind you of something a little bit later in this book where Paul says this way to Timothy. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to Conduct or behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So that is the context. That is the reason why we have this passage of Scripture. First and foremost, it is so that we may know how to behave ourselves in this setting right here. That's why Paul wrote this passage that I read in Second Timothy, in First Timothy 2. So, Paul is teaching Timothy on male and female role distinctions in the church. Right here in chapter 2, that's, that's what we have to recognize, is that there are role distinctions in the church of God, in the church of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says about men. 
men with holy lives holding up holy hands, which is, is the idea of holy hands is that this is what you work with. This is how you express yourself. You're working and laboring, and what you're doing has a lot to do with your hands. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. And I don't believe that means that there has to be a certain posture of praying, but rather that your, the hands represent the, the holiness of the entire person. That they're defined by this certain characteristic of holiness. Men in the church. And if that's not us, remember priorities, holiness. First things first. The, the, the things of first importance. Holiness. Without wrath and doubting. This, this word wrath is the... And I, I recently heard this. I'm not sure. Was it was you, Brother Philip? In relation to this word wrath might have been, it recently came across this pulpit, that it is the word orge, or it is, it is, this, this, it is this, this where we get the English word orgy. And it is this idea of a strong passion, of, a, of, a, of being ruled by a, a passion, an intense passion, that men should pray in a certain way without this, you know, in a sense, with soberness, being in control of their faculties, not being driven with their animal passions. And with faith. Men with holy lives leading in public prayer with a proper attitude and faith. In like manner, also, you see. See, in like manner. In, in, this, same, in this same characteristic, in this same distinction, you know, distinguishing factor, the women also. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves or that they arrange themselves in modest or orderly clothes. That they are arranged in orderly clothing. Clothing that agrees with your profession of godliness. Interesting that when Paul is teaching on the roles in the, in the church and he refers to the women, he refers to their dress almost immediately. The women arrange themselves in this fashion with modest apparel, with propriety and moderation. Their attitude, one of shamefacedness. That's the word there for propriety. With shamefacedness. Not with a bold and arrogant um, approach, but rather a, a humility. A, a, something that is expressing humility. And moderation is a soundness of mind. Or sobriety. Or self-control. The old King James again says... Moderation, that propriety and sobriety. Or it is the same word, moderation is the same word that we end the chapter with, which is self-control. If they continue in faith, love, and self-control or sobriety. That you're in control of your faculties. 
that you're not your emotions and your desire to be approved of, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it is, is not what is guiding you. But but your your desire to glorify God is what is is how you dress yourself. Professing godliness accompanied by good works. Attire fitting for those professing godliness with good works. Verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. You know, this is actually, Paul is... Is teaching a is, is teaching something that was not, you know, women were not appreciated and and uh, brought in to educate them in the early church, like like was like Paul is teaching here. This is literally saying that a woman is to learn. She is you're you're to give attention that she be educated as well, that she has the opportunity to hear and le- and learn. But a woman learn in silence with all submission. A woman's position and attitude in the assembly is one of learning in silence and submission. The women are not to teach or exercise any government over the men. Notice that I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, bear with me. I'm going somewhere with this. It's not just that that we that I'm uh, picking on you. I'm simply pointing out that the New Testament order that Paul gave to Timothy is that the women are in subjection in the assembly. They're in they're in submission to the, remember this is a teaching on mothers. But we're getting there. This is this is simply the the backdrop of what he is saying in verse 15 that I want to point out. But let a woman learn in submission to the men in the assembly. Matthew Henry points out two reasons for the woman's position and attitude in the public assembly. Notice what he says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And Martin Luther makes his point, when you read the German in, on that verse, it indicates that she led, in the, she led out in the transgression. And what Matthew Henry says, last in creation, first in transgression. There are two reasons for her position in the church. Last in creation and first in transgression, according to this passage. In creation, she was made for him, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 9. In her fall, her attitude toward man was corrupted. Now her desire was to rule over him, Genesis 3. In the curse where God spoke, he said, you know, things things are inverted now. And your desire is to rule over him, which we understand the curse by, if you look at Chapter 4 of Genesis where Cain was exhorted to rule over the sin that lay at the door. It's the same language. That sin was desiring to rule over Cain. But God told Cain, you shall rule over it. It's the same language where he says in Genesis 3 in the curse 
that her desire shall be for him. The woman's, the, the woman's, the the woman's uh, attitude toward her role was corrupted in that now she desired to have the preeminence. But by God's design, she is to submit, as we see here in this passage. Now, where is then the woman's place of prominence? Where is it? Where is her place of prominence and where can she implement what she has learned? Think about it. She is to be taught in this environment where the church comes together in a public way. She is to be taught. She is to learn the things of God. She is to learn sound doctrine. Remember, she is to govern in her home. There is an environment where she has great prominence. Does she have a place of influence in the church? Yes. A resounding yes. Those young children who sat on this front row are the future congregation. And the mothers are influencing those young people more than the fathers are. It's just the way it is. We have to go work. We're out there. We're, we're, we're earning our bread by the sweat of our brow. But our wives, our mothers have this place of prominence. Notice what he says. Nevertheless, she will be preserved or she will be protected or she will be saved in childbearing. And this is not saying that she's going to be saved from her sins. No, this is not speaking about the salvation of her person. It is speaking about the salvation of her position. She will be saved her Her position in the congregation of Jesus Christ in the church of God is going to be redeemed in motherhood. I'm convinced that that's what verse 15 means. Nevertheless, she will be saved in bearing children. She will be saved in motherhood if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Obviously, it's not a blanket application. If you're not going to raise your children for God, if you're not going to pursue faith, love, and holiness, you can have as many children as you want, and it's not going to redeem your position. So there is a, there is a caveat. If you continue in love, but you can and you do redeem your position by motherhood. Praise God. You have a position of prominence in the church. It's not public. Every great man of God had a mother. Here is a mother's hope. Her position is redeemed by motherhood. A godly mother in the home has the opportunity to impact the church of Jesus Christ in as great a fashion as her husband. It's not an inferior role. It is a great honor. It's, 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 it's given to the mother. 
It's not a public minister ministry in the church, but a very private and fruitful one in the home. And Proverbs speaks well into a mother's hope that she labors not in vain in the Lord. And I want to just give a, a quick little survey here again of Proverbs as we think about a mother's hope. Proverbs 10 and verse 1 if you care to follow, you, you may here as we flip through a few of these wonderful Proverbs of Solomon. In Proverbs 10 and verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. If we leave off and, and, and do not rise to the challenge, so to speak, You will reap the grief of that in later years. A foolish son is a grief to his mother. But on the contrary, a wise son makes a glad mother. Indeed. Proverbs 23. Here's a beautiful passage for a mother's hope. Proverbs 23, verse 13, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Verse 15, My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself, yes, my most Yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. What a beautiful picture of a mother's hope. You pouring it in, and they'll give it back. You pour it in, they give it back. You're redeeming your position. You will reap the blessings of joy in their righteousness, in them speaking right things. Speaking sound doctrine, for instance. Proverbs 23, 25, just a little bit further back. Let your father and your mother be glad. Actually, verse 24, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. Proverbs 29, verse 15. I read this once already. The rod and rebuke give wisdom. That's hard work. The rod and rebuke give wisdom. But there's a promise there. You see it? It, They give wisdom. There's fruit there. There's, There's... There's gain in your labor, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. There's there's also gain there, but it's loss. It's on the the wrong side. It's growing. there's, There's a growing shame to the mother who leaves her child alone. Verse 17, correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will delight your soul. Isn't that 
beautiful. And then lastly, here in Proverbs, in verse 30, in chapter 31, in verse 28, this is a beautiful picture of the virtuous woman and the fruit and the hope that she has in all her labors. Notice what it says in verse 28 of Proverbs 31. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. That's a way, that's a long way back from, if, if you read from verse, um, verse 10 and all her description and all the labor that she's put in, finally we come to 28 and says, oh, here's the gain. Here's the gain for me. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. You know, what I see in verse 28 is shared values. The children value the same thing that the mother does. That's, that is our goal as parents, to transmit your values to your children and for your children to rise up and say you are a blessed mother that that indicates that they have adopted your values they have agreed with you and you have implemented God's truth in their life a mother's honor a mother's home a mother's hope is it any wonder that our enemy Attacks on these fronts. Interestingly, this morning on Mother's Day, the Sunday morning paper, we brought it in, and the headline, Mother Indicted for Murder of Two-Year-Old Child. On Mother's Day, Mother Indicted. God forbid, that is what is going on in this culture. And it is not going on in just two-year-olds. It is going on in pre-born, where we sacrifice our children on the altar of convenience. Our enemy has made great inroads in our culture. Let, not, let us not let them make inroads in the church. Let us who are of the truth maintain our allegiance to the truth in these practical ways. Well now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Thank you for your kind attention, and may God bless our mothers.